Hello, gang. We haven't done this in a while. Most of you are used to hearing that before my musings on Instagram. And now you get to listen to my musings on Spotify. I've been meaning to make a podcast since it came to my attention that too many people give a fuck about my opinions. I thought I should make a profit out of my stupid opinions, so here we are. Welcome to the podcast where I talk about whatever the fuck I want, mainly focusing on the fan favorite that is dumb shit on the internet, but also film and the politics of film, as well as real-life politics. I've always wanted to teach screenwriting since it is such an underappreciated aspect of film. Nobody knows how much a screenplay ties into the overall product of a film, and no one wants to hear about it because it is so fucking boring. So I thought I can peddle it to the masses by talking shit about your favorite content and seeing how we can write it better. Of course, we'll talk shit about people on the internet every so often, depending on the mood. This will be a weekly thing, every Monday and Tuesday. I don't care that much, but welcome to Looking for Maria, and let's get on with the episode. I know I'm super late to the party, but I recently finished watching The Legend of Korra. And I can sit here and talk shit about it and say it does not hold a candle to the masterpiece that is The Last Airbender. But I feel like you guys have listened to that narrative about 15 times from 70 different people from Reddit, on YouTube, or wherever the hell you get your content. So I'm not going to do that. Instead, we're going to talk about what I liked about it. Well, I like that I got to see Zuko and Toph and Katara and Mako's great fan service. And that's pretty much it. That's all I liked. Actually, I liked another thing. I like the villains. I feel like the creators really went out on a limb to create these three-dimensional, well-rounded villains whilst completely neglecting to make three-dimensional, well-rounded main characters. I mean, can you name another personality trait that Asami has other than being tech-savvy and having daddy issues? I didn't think so. So, I can get into the main character flaws in a different episode, but I want to talk about the villains and why I think they're so likable. At the same time, I want to talk about why they don't work as villains. So if you want to know how I can write Zaheer, Amon, and Unalak better, then stick around. We'll talk about it and we'll see if I really can make your favorite villains into even better villains than they already are. You know guys, the best advice I ever got when it comes to writing is when writing bad guys, you can't really think of them as bad guys. I mean, no matter how reprehensible you think what they're doing is, you have to think of everything the way they do, which is completely justified. All of the bad things are not bad things. They're all a means to an end. I think shows geared towards kids completely gloss over this and most of the time completely forget about it. I quote from my favorite depressed horse, which is Bojack Horseman, and if you haven't seen the show, I highly recommend it. It will cure your depression or make your depression even worse. There's no such thing as bad guys or good guys. We're all just guys who do good stuff sometimes and bad stuff sometimes. Avatar fell victim to this when they wrote the complete megalomaniac, which is Fire Lord Ozai. There's no particular reason he's evil, by the way. He's just evil because his forefathers were evil, and even then, his ancestors have no reason to be evil. They all just snapped and went on a fucking rampage. I mean, I wouldn't put that above us in the real world because see Hitler, for example, I guess. 
they corrected that character flaw with Amondo. I mean, his beliefs and reason for doing everything he does is in pursuit of equality. And whatever that means is up to you or who you're asking or what political ideology you believe in. But in the case of Amon, he he kind kind of leaning towards 20th century communism. I mean, you're gonna roll your eyes right now and think like, oh fuck, a history lesson. But I'm gonna try to give it to you in a, you know, easily digestible fashion. Father of communism Karl Marx heavily believed that the world would be better off and equal with the dismantling of the ruling class or what he calls the bourgeoisie. In Amon's case, the ruling class are the benders. Taking away their bending therefore means an equal world because you distribute the bending slash the wealth. It will help even the world out and make things truly, truly equal. I think that's his greatest advantage as a villain. I found myself nodding along and thinking, I mean, fuck yeah, I mean, he's right. Then again, I'm an activist, so regardless, I'm gonna be completely biased. So what I do believe Amon's flaw is, it's his backstory. You finally have a free-thinking revolutionary. How do you make him come to that conclusion? You give him a dramatic-ass revenge story. I mean, what the hell? You could have made his backstory about how benders took everything away from him or how benders actually oppress people. But no, you made it about Yukon and family stuff and Avatar shit. I mean, you could have done anything with this, but you wrote him the basicest basic backstory there is. I mean, I admit, Amon has the least flaws to work with and in no means am I saying he's not an effective villain. Quite the contrary. He works so well, he's my favorite villain. But he could have been 10 times better if the writers wrote his backstory better. Which brings us to our next villain, which we will talk about in the next segment. Welcome back to Elevator Music and Social Commentary. You're still listening to Looking for Maria, and we're ready to talk about our next Legend of Korra villain, Zaheer. The writers' writing capabilities and knowledge about their characters or lack thereof, show in the character of Zaheer in The Red Lotus. Zaheer, for all intents and purposes, is a fan-favorite villain. I mean, I'm not really sure why. Maybe it satisfies people's desire to overthrow their abusive governments and, I don't know, full-on riot? Believe me, I would do that too. I live in the Philippines. And, for real, I would just guru lahima the shit out of this place. Zaheer's flaws can be summed up in two points though. The writers don't really know what anarchy and civil disobedience are, and rebellions are really just fucking hard to write. Let's focus on that first one. Brian Konietzko and Michael DiMartino are amazing world builders. Every bit of lore in The Last Airbender is amazing, and they elaborated on it further in The Legend of Korra. Although not a widely approved decision, it's some beautiful strokes of world building. What they aren't are political scientists and they aren't well-versed in real-life politics. This is where they hit the wall when it comes to Zaheer. Not enough research went into the formulation of Zaheer. Based on the talk they had in the spirit world where Zaheer claims that chaos is the natural order of things, we can then infer that the writers think anarchy disposes of personal responsibility, the establishment of law, and consequences, when in fact, anarchy is the disposition of imposed authority. If anything, riots and lawlessness is frowned upon by anarchy because with the absence of a government and a lawmaking body, there's no social constructs, hierarchy, or privilege to absolve you of not being held accountable. 
Zaheer telling everyone to go get fucking turned after the death of the Earth Queen is the complete opposite of what the political ideology he stands for preaches. I'm not saying made-up worlds shouldn't make parallels in real-world politics, but if you're gonna do it, you might as well display it properly. Because if you go around telling people this is what anarchy is, if it happens, people will go batshit insane. As for the second point, I'm gonna reference to Just Right's video on the Hunger Games and writing revolutions and rebellions. Suffice it to say, it's hard to write them. Media and you as a viewer believe in the chosen one trope. So much that any deviation from that upsets you. Zaheer employs the chosen one trope so much so that the political beliefs are rooted in him and the Red Lotus being the only ones to bring the world into the new world order. That goes for Amon and Unalak as well, actually. What the writers need to understand is to write revolutions means to write the movements behind them, not just the face claims to the cause. Katniss didn't get to make all the decisions during the Hunger Games, and Zaheer and Amon shouldn't get to call the shots as well. If DiMartino and Konietzko want to go for realistic political vibe, that's not the way to go about it. But actually, we can talk more about that when we speak about our next villain, which we will do after the next segment. Welcome back to more elevator music and social commentary. You're still listening to Looking for Maria. And now, to cap this whole ass podcast off, we are going to talk about my least favorite villain in The Legend of Korra, Unalak. I'm gonna spend the least time talking about him because we've spoken about everything wrong with him in more detail in Amon and Zaheer's segment. But in this case, we're going to talk about the chosen one trope. The chosen one trope is dialed up to maximum on Unalak and it's dialed to a hundred. He was so dumb, he got manipulated by an evil ass spirit because Vatu convinced him he was special. There's a lesson in there somewhere kids. Just because someone makes you feel that you're special doesn't mean that you are. I hate a lot of tropes, but by far this is my most hated one. Just because it preys on your vulnerability and your want to be told that you're special just so it can work. What Unalak does show you is that the trope is bullshit. Like I touched on in Zaheer's segment, there is no such thing as chosen one when it comes to revolutions and change. Um, it's a social movement. Everybody has to be a part of it. And I hate that everybody is peddling this as some kind of solution that we all need our Mockingjay, or we all need our Unalaks, or we all need our Zaheers. Social movements work because they're social movements. There is strength in numbers, and this trope tends to forget all about that, which is why I hate it, and I hate that it's being peddled to everyone. I also hate that it's in Unalak, who's kind of just like a power-hungry monster and who's kind of just really dumb. Anyway, there are a bunch of things in The Legend of Korra and The Last Airbender that I can unpack and discuss. But my favorite thing about The Legend of Korra are the villains, and despite my suggestions and criticisms to make them work better, they were written with as much care as the likes of Azula or Ozai. The difference is, it's easier to write evil by portraying it as just evil. Writing characters aren't all objectively bad, it's always a hit or miss. People don't like gray areas. In gray areas, a lot of things can go wrong. But for now, you write 0.5% better and no 1% more about your favorite shows and films. That's Looking for Maria. This is episode 1, focusing on Legend of Korra and the villains and why they don't work. Next week, we're probably gonna talk about should Sasuke be cancelled and 
the logic of cancel culture in made-up shows. So, if you guys are into that, I'll see you guys next week. And again, I will see you all in another life. Anyway, there are a bunch of things in The Legend of Korra and The Last Airbender that I can unpack and discuss. But my favorite thing about 